Today on IFS Talks, we're welcoming Yoav Bartov. Yoav is a couples and family therapist in private practice who is born, raised, and currently practicing in Israel. He's worked in the public sector welfare department, overseeing staff, addressing at-risk children, multi-problem families, and the abuse and neglect of minors. Yoav came to Internal Family Systems Therapy in 2014, and he has since completed levels one, two, and three trainings, become a certified IFS therapist and certified IFS supervisor. He's been a program assistant and lead program assistant for many IFS trainings internationally. Yoav is married and has two sons. Today, our conversation with Yoav is about neurodiversity and IFS. Thank you so much for joining us on IFS Talks today. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Yoav. And thanks much for willing to sit with us and share your experience with IFS and people in the spectrum. What parts come up for you listening to your bio? Well, there uh, are two main parts. One that was uh, listening to make sure there are no mistakes, and the other one that was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Usually embarrassed when people talk about me yeah. in general. Both welcome. Thank you. Would you like to tell us a bit more on your personal journey as an IFS therapist? When did you stumble into IFS? Yeah, I'd love to say a few words about that. I was studying uh, family and couple therapy, and I had uh, one course on uh, different models uh, with couple therapy that uh, luckily uh, Einat Bronstein, a very experienced IFS uh, trainer, was leading. And she had just one lesson about couple therapy in IFS. And immediately after hearing just one lecture about it, uh, something clicked in me and I immediately came to her and asked her more about it. And she said, told me about uh, trainings and a few months later, I I joined uh, my level one with her. Do you remember what it was that made made it click for you? I don't remember exactly what it was that lesson. I do remember something very clicked. I think it was about just the parts concept. Mm. I, I remember listening to her lecture and looking inside at the same time in a way and noticing all sorts of parts and certain things making sense for me. And mainly I remember the the weeks and months before my level one, after that one lecture, I started thinking in IFS terms and was surprised with the amount of clarity it gave me to my own system before even getting any training done. And why this interest of yours in neurodiversity? Well, first of all, I have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Diagnosed as a kid, I had also have some sensory sensitivities, mm-hmm. learning disabilities, and also two sons. My, my younger son also has ADHD, and my oldest son is on the autism spectrum, what they call high-functioning autism, and yes. they used to describe as Asperger. So you have a first-person experience with this condition. Yeah. And I ran into it a lot in my practice, but 
So have you developed some ways to use internal family systems with neurodiversity specifically? Are there some some challenges or um, some ways of uh, bringing the system approach to this issue? Yes. First of all, I want to say because my, my son is on the spectrum, I obviously start reading a lot about the subject mm-hmm. and got uh, also help with from professionals on the subject with my own parenting. And so when I encountered it in my work, it was helpful and I had more confidence to deal with it. But initially, I didn't really plan to take on clients on the spectrum, for instance, uh, as a rule. And it sort of came to be out of, by accident, whether it was clients that weren't diagnosed when they came to me. And later it was discovered that they're on the spectrum when people that for all sorts of reasons had a hard time and insisted to go to me. And to answer your question, what I found most surprising was that I thought that my knowledge of about autism would be very helpful. And it was definitely, I think it's very important, but most of what I found that was helpful in my intervention was actually a lot of the basic concept of IFS that worked very, very well with the autism spectrum, especially just the, the ability of an IFS therapist to be really curious and unblend from his parts was crucial in really understanding clients who were on the spectrum because of the differences, how they think to how I think. And a lot of the attitudes of IFS just fit really well with that. Yoav, do you want to help our audience to differentiate ADHD and autism or the spectrum? Is there something you can say to help us? Yeah, I think first of all, it's important to say that My experience is with what I use DSM terms for, for comfort. It's a whole other conversation about how we use terms, but they are useful for us to understand each other, of course. So my personal and professional experience is uh, almost exclusively with uh, what they call high-functioning autism. Mm-hmm. So anyone listening should know that I have no personal experience with uh, what they call uh, people on the spectrum that have more severe symptoms and are less communicative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not functioning, yes. Yeah. And the term neurodiversity, I think, is a useful term that was developed uh, in recent years to really encompass the fact that our brains work differently from each other. There's a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences. Absolutely. Some of the neuro... Neurological disorders, while can be hindering, can be sometimes debilitating even, seem to, there's a discussion about it, but seem to be partly just differences in how we think and how we react. And there are similarities between these different conditions. So ADHD is a neurological condition within, and autism spectrum disorder is a different neurological condition. Uh, condition, although there is a lot of, uh, there's about 30% of people on the spectrum that also suffer from symptoms of ADHD. So there is a lot of comorbidity.
Yoav, can we really split people in these large groups like neurotypical and neurodiverse or this is stupid? I, I don't think it's stupid because we need language to describe things, but I do think we need to understand the limitation of doing something like that. I think mm-hmm. atypical or neurodiverse uh, people are just as different from each other as uh, neurotypical people. I mean, just like if I would say all people who are not in the spectrum are something I might say all sorts of things that are generally true, but we can't really, it's a very limited way of describing people. So yes, it's very limited to talk about them as a group, but also needed because it can be helpful to notice at least some commonalities yeah. uh, to help us. Uh, Mapping the territory as well, yes. Yeah. So how might a therapist um, with that, that sense of curiosity and self and sitting with, with someone who has uh, neurodiversity, how might you start? Would it be uh, to be curious about parts that have been identified as having ADD or where does one begin? Well, I do think that having some at least basic uh, education about uh, uh, common symptoms and, and description of things can be helpful just to keep in mind. The thing is, you need to keep it in mind so it's helpful for you to recognize certain things and not mistake them for parts. And, and I'll try to explain this because I feel like one of the most common things that uh, I find generally IFS uh, therapists in the beginning are it's hard for them to do is to distinguish between parts and um, like a, a personal objective reality, let's call it, like the way my brain works, right? Like if I have, uh, and I'm talking about a real example for myself, uh, being a person with uh, sensory issues about uh, touch and smell, like if uh, uh, I over get overstimulated by a certain smell the fact that i can smell it and you can't is not a part of mine that is smelling it it's the way my brain works a part would be what uh, how do i react to that stimuli that i get so the reason it's important to know things about the autism or adhd is to understand how their minds might be different than yours just as like the 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 basics And then it can help you understand how their parts react to their differences. Mm. So you are saying there is a difference between brain functions and style variants and parts developed around them. Yeah. So you have, you would not say parts are just brain functions. No. I, well, I assume everything is, in, I mean, You're getting into a philosophical question about mind and then soul and you know <laughs> yes. uh, I think parts are a lot of a lot of aspects about parts is completely in the brain mm-hmm. we're disregarding whether they have a spiritual component for a minute but uh, when I say brain function I, I mean like let's take an example like someone on the spectrum okay okay so One of the things people on the spectrum, that they experience the world in a much more intense way than people not on the spectrum. So the same sort of stimuli 
they can react very differently to their brain reacts differently to it so I'm using the sensory example simply because they are simple but it works on a more complex level let's start with that so if there's a noise outside that doesn't bother me but is very loud and 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 disruptive to someone that has ADHD or on the spectrum mm-hmm. there is the level that I can easily not notice the sound and his brain cannot easily not notice the sound so that is the The way his brain works now how he deals with it is parts he might be frustrated he might be apologetic he might be all sorts of things about that okay interesting but the fact that his brain reacts differently is not necessarily a part it's it's just the initial impulse of how he experiences reality got it yeah yeah it, it's a lens and yeah it's a It's appreciable to understand yeah. that there's a, a shifted lens. And taking it one step forward, I think it's important to understand that it does become more complex because one of the ways people on the spectrum brain works, for instance, is their thinking is characterized by being a lot more rigid. And that gets us to a place that's a lot more complicated because extreme parts are extreme parts because usually we are used to that they're extreme because they're protecting exiles. And it can be very confusing to notice if I'm experiencing rigidity right now for my client because of his uh, uh, sty- style of thinking or because of a part, an extreme part that is protecting an exile. Okay, so you have... Why so many in the spectrum will really show rigid thoughts patterns? Why is this so common? I can't really answer that. That's one of the most, uh, I mean, that's an attribute that is about how the brain works. There are many different theories about how uh, the autistic brain is like a specialized brain. Okay. They also uh, show very narrow interests and obsessive behavior and repetition. And I think it's... got something to do with their brain being hyper-focused and hyper-sensitive. And again, all of these descriptions I'm saying is not parts yet. And I think the thing to understand is that I do think that people on the spectrum develop a lot of extreme parts because of the way they experience the world differently and how hard it is for them to do so. So it sounds like it's really good to keep in mind and And hold an openness as an IFS therapist that uh, you may not be looking for exiles with extreme parts in the same way. Yeah, it, mainly, and it requires you to be curious and open-minded and, and trust the IFS process, really, because if something shows up and I'm curious about it, Naturally, it will be very easy to see after a few uh, after a few minutes, usually, whether it's an extreme part or just a rigid thought pattern. For instance, if I ask the part, "What is it afraid of?" I will get answers that are more related to exiles if it's an extreme part. And if it's just rigid thinking, you will feel like... There's not really something there more than just the difficulty to let go of something, let's call it, but not necessarily a fear. 
And it requires also to really know your client because obviously you can have parts that can be evasive. So it's not easy to do so. But I do think I did find that I needed to sometimes trust the client and just accept certain answers and accept that his parts behave differently than mine and appear differently than mine. So you might find that a, a manager has a protective quality, but it doesn't have that same energy or that it's, that it's more of a way of viewing things rather than a part that's like, I'm, I have a clear role of managing. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm going in circles with a certain thing that comes up again and again, and then I know that, okay, it's, it might not, it might just not be a part with Axel and just part of the way he, the thinking style. You have coming back to your clinical experience with neurodivergent clients and how can IFS help and benefit people in the spectrum or ADHD? What would you like to say more? Well, I want to say that actually I found that people on the spectrum, I mean, the most of the advice, uh, not necessarily even just for my first, that, uh, that is out there to how to communicate better with people on the spectrum is generally just good advice about how to communicate in general. Yes. And, and showcases how poorly, in a way, we know typical... Uh, people communicate because of the complexity of saying things we don't mean and nuances of social interaction. And it makes a lot of sense for the purpose on the spectrum to have a hard time with social communication because of how indirect and uh, some, well, somewhat ingenuine it is. So I find that IFS is very helpful because it's very open-minded, non-judgmental, curious, and willing to accept that just because it doesn't make sense to me to overreact to something or experience something very severely, this is how this person in front of me is experiencing the thing and he has parts around it and let's just be curious about it. And that shift in perspective is hugely beneficial to working with people on the spectrum and with diverse people in general, I feel. Mm, beautiful. I guess you would agree with Tasha Oswald, who has some work with this group and applies IFS to autism. She says, for my autistic clients and their neurotypical family members, the IFS model has helped reduce their anxiety and worry, increase self-esteem, improve mood, and create a more helpful outlook on life. That's all she says. Wonderful. Yeah, definitely. I would also add to that that there is actually a unique challenge but also benefit with people on the spectrum that the main, I think the most severe issue and complex issue to deal with is the social interaction challenges they experience. Yes. Yes. And the work, while it can be challenging to, especially when they are inside, they not necessarily communicate as much with the therapist so I can't know what's going on because... If things are going well, a lot of people on the spectrum will not have that instinct to let me know what's going on. They'll just do things and they might be doing great work inside, but I don't really know. So it's also, again, trusting them a bit and knowing them. But uh, what I want to say is that 
IFS is really about relationships and communication with your own parts. And while it can be difficult, I think people on the spectrum have an easier time to communicate with their own parts. And working on communicating with their own parts is also a way of practicing social communication that can be then transferred to other people. Beautiful. Is there anything that, that you've learned in your, own, in your own evolution of working with this population and maybe within your family um, that's been surprising or illuminating for you? First of all, very humbling, especially the personal thing. I mean, I've always been a relatively patient and calm person even before discovering IFS. And definitely the person who, who is hardest for my parts to keep cool about is my eldest son and how it can be very, very frustrating and humbling to be a parent to, to someone on the spectrum. And, uh, I mean, and he's a great kid. I mean, he's really compared to uh, everything is relatively okay. And it's still so, so hard. So, uh, and uh, at the beginning, uh, you, can, you can feel like, uh, especially before he was diagnosed, you can feel like a, a really bad parent because you're doing things, you're using your instincts and things are not working. And I think it can be very challenging even after you get a diagnosis and understand it for parents of children because it's so hard to really understand that they, their brain is fundamentally different in certain ways and it's hard to accept. And I think using IFS again with your parts and helping parents accept that it's different and not try to force certain things can really help create a much more harmony in, in the home. Absolutely. And it did yeah. for me and also I feel. So critical. Yeah. You have this group of people in the spectrum. Would you say they tend to be mostly led by managers or mostly by firefighters? I think it's very hard to say. I think the, the answer I want to give, uh, and I think it's right, it's, yeah. I think it's by managers, actually. However, I think the energy of the system is often feels a lot more like firefighters than managers because, again, there's something very extreme about how they sense the world. And definitely there are firefighters there, but even their managers can be, just by that thought, the thought style we talked about of rigidity, some managers can feel like firefighters, even though their managers just by being so abrupt or brutal. But if I have to choose one, I would say managers, I think, more than firefighters. Okay, more than firefighters, yes. Curious if you have any thoughts or feelings around um, use of medication with this population. I, I know um, I have a, a handful of clients um, who were on medication for ADD and ADHD from a young age. And there's, it seems like there's many different feelings and parts about it. Yeah. Well, first of all, I have to say that I 
I'm on a medication for my ADHD, which I only started to take uh, in university, not as a child, mm-hmm. uh, which might color my, my beliefs about it because I did have a chance to develop my own coping mechanism without it while growing up. And could be that if I didn't, I would have a different experience about the harmful effects of it. But for me, it was generally a pleasant experience of really helping me uh, be able, giving me the choice to focus on things in a, an easier way. And sort of, I still notice everything that my, my brain sort of gets from the ADHD, but it's easier to just unblend from the the noise that ADHD creates for me when I'm on that medication. So that's my personal experience. And I feel the same way about, but I think medication, my feeling about medication, it's true for also mental, uh, any mental condition, really. I think it's really amazing what psychiatry can do and elevate a lot of suffering for many, many, many people. And I also understand how limited it is. And it's really mainly about elevating symptoms. And there are certain conditions that it's more helpful to elevate these symptoms in and other conditions that it's worse. So for instance, for people on the spectrum, the main thing that medication can help with is if they have uh, symptoms of OCD, some medications can help with it. But the main thing is with anxiety. Which is a common thing they suffer from. And I do think that people that are suffering from great anxiety, if they have a medication that does not cause them any ill effects, they should definitely use it. I mean, it can be extremely helpful. I have people that I treat and just taking that medication created so much more room for the therapy because their anxiety went from being most of the time 10 to being like, five or four most of the time and i also i don't think people that don't know people on the spectrum understand how they function with levels of anxiety that would be debilitating to most people not on the spectrum uh, a lot of the time and 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 they're considered to be they don't people don't understand how strong people on the spectrum can be there is something uh, one of the most common strengths i see in high functioning people on the spectrum is determination they are very determined people, and when they set a goal, they can uh, usually reasonably achieve it if if they're not drowning in the environment, making it harder for them or other symptoms. So people on the spectrum carry just ridiculous amounts of anxiety, so they should get the medication if it helps them, but it's it's not always so. So I don't see a problem with it, though. You have, you have shared, you have been through tough times back when you were younger, going through depression, I guess? Yes. Are you willing to revisit aspects of that challenging experience and IFS role in your recovery, if any? Sure. So I will be somewhat brief about it because it can be a topic for a whole conversation. Yes. But I will say that I suffered from 
major resistance uh, clinical depression for many years wow. uh, when I was young. Well, through my teens and early 20s, basically. And uh, recurring as well. And I, I did eventually use the help of psychiatry, which was mostly unhelpful for a very, very long time with many different medications. And uh, as a last result, I did find something that helped me. And with that and therapy, got out of a very serious depression in my early 20s. And when I met IFS, it was uh, a few years after that, really like the hardest episode I had with depression. So I was not depressed yet, but I was on med- psychiatric medication and the good psychiatrist I had basically told me with my pattern and past, I, I, I'm likely to experience some sort of recurring episode every four years or so. Wow. Scaring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, but I comforted myself that I at least found the treatment that seemed helpful. And I did experience a second episode that was pretty horrible personally, but I managed to function through it as opposed to the one before. So it seemed like I might be able to live with it. Mm. And that's when I met IFS though. Very early on, I started to really understand my system in a completely different way and really starting to understand the parts around my depression. And I want to, again, take it to the difference between Uh, our chemistry and our parts. Okay. Clearly, when I was depressed, very powerful forces in my brain were, were doing all sorts of things and make me unable to experience joy of any kind and all sorts of really horrible symptoms that were connected to many things. But regardless of the cause of my depression, the, there was a reality of, of my brain doing all sorts of things. So, But IFS gave me the ability a, to understand a lot of different parts arranged around my depression that were using that depression and my and, and it helped me really see how I might be uh, falling into it again because of how my parts were dealing with uh, hardships in life. Absolutely makes sense. And eventually, yeah. That really, really freed me in a way that made me stop fearing being depressed again. And it's been uh, almost uh, almost 15 years. Wow, it's amazing. Since my last episode of depression, and I've been more than a decade without any medication. And I've, during this time, I had really hard work with, uh, uh, in your, the bios you mentioned, I worked with uh, very hard seen a lot of hard things in my work as a social worker and I had my son diagnosed with autism and I had a lot of hardships and it's very clear to me that I will challenges yeah. not really I am not fearing that coming back again it's really thanks to befriending a lot of my parts that uh, in uh, sort of freed me from having to worry about that despite clearly having some genetic uh, predisposition to depression so you became resilient and Did you have a chance to uh, uh, get to know the depression itself to understand its purpose role and history so the way I feel about it again and and there is there are signs in my family that can also uh, 
suggest a, a, a genetic predisposition, but I definitely see things in my personal history that uh, made my parts go there. And I think it's, it's uh, pretty common. Uh, I think when you, I think help, when we are uh, stuck with helplessness exiles that uh, and don't have hope i mean that's practically for certain people with again some predisposition can just turn into this depression i don't know about friending the depression since they feel like depression is like the diagnosis and it's not just one part and more like uh, a group of symptoms and parts and, and things, but I did manage to befriend my suicidal part and that was extremely useful. And recognizing that despite not being depressed and not having depression for many, many years, knowing that I still have the suicidal part inside of me, uh, uh, it's not like gone or changed roles even, but it's unburdened and just there to remind me that that's an option if I'll ever need it. Mm -hmm. And my system is not really afraid of this part anymore. Looks like a, a huge difference, yes. With something like a genetic predisposition for depression or, or you know, you know, other parts, do you feel that there's possibility of legacy burdens there? Yeah. I, I think with any family history, there can be legacy burdens. I don't think that was the case for me personally. Uh, but yeah, uh, that can also be true with, I mean, there are, it's more complex with, uh, I think, with uh, the evidence around uh, the spectrum uh, and autism, but there, there, are, there is a genetic uh, attribute to it. And I do know of a lot of people who carry guilt or some legacy burdens around passing on the, the autism mm -hmm. to their kids or, mm -hmm. or all sorts of things okay. like that. Yeah. So again, that kind of open-mindedness around it, just being curious. Like, yeah. What's, what's the story here? What's the, where, where are the parts related to all of this? Yeah, I, I think, and, and I want to try and connect this with what we've been talking about, the, I think really the relationship between the realities of how we are and what's happening to us and our part is something to really try to understand and be more clear about since we cannot always control, like I, I met IFS while I was in remission from depression so and, and mm -hmm. then never got depressed again thanks to IFS. So I, I didn't get mm -hmm. a chance to try to use IFS on myself while being depressed, but I have a pretty good idea to, since I've worked with many clients with IFS and while they had depression, that you can't just make the, the chemistry that's going on in your brain disappear in an hour, even if you feel a lot better. Like when you're in the depression, something is going on and is also creating all sorts of uh, symptoms. But the work we do and therapy can definitely help it dissipate and affect our bodies and how our brain works. It's just not instant. So 
you need to understand when something and it's it's only relevant when there's something that's physically or, or, or brainly overwhelming because when it's not then yes sometimes we have this unburdening and it's amazing and someone feels just completely different but I don't think someone in the midst of depression would feel that well I mean it might feel a high but it will not dissipate the depression instantly but it may hasten it to go away and with people on the spectrum who will always be on the spectrum the work we do can really help their parts come down about things and improve their way to communicate with the world but certain patterns in how they think will still be there we'll stay. they can just yeah function better be happier about it explain themselves better to themselves and others and accepting themselves better yeah 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 that level of acceptance it's really really important understanding beautiful beautiful you have thank you so much for willing to have this conversation on IFS and neurodiversity and for all that you disclosed and shared both at personal and professional level we really enjoyed this conversation and let's hope we can keep meeting and sharing our work and our life thank you it was a privilege and a pleasure to be here. thank you so much it's wonderful to see you and talk to you you